Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Hey everyone, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. And it's good to be with y'all. Did you like my little visual cue? That was good. As if you didn't know when you were to speak after the intro? Sometimes I forget. There's been those two times where I kind of just like spaced out and started thinking about, I don't know. Hey, Father Travis, you're on. Started thinking about cue card. Go. Extra baked. uh, I don't have a green light here. Cheez-Its or something. You ever had those? Oh my gosh. What's that? A kid just had, we had a senior retreat recently and Mm -hmm. there's these extra toasty Cheez-Its. You ever mm-hmm. had these? I have. Why would you buy anything else? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. More flavor, um, more fun. <laughs> yes. We are, so the family room at <clears throat> All Saints Catholic Church St. Joseph site uh, is used for many things as, you know. Well, very multi-purpose. Multi-purpose room. We use it for families at funerals. We use it as a bride's room. We use it for small groups at the school all the time. We use it for recording our podcast today, but it's also used for Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. You very mm-hmm. familiar with the uh, CGS? I have not kind of worked in an atrium, but uh, I've had you know lots of yeah. discussions about it, presentations about mm-hmm. it, to hear about the strengths and the great fruit it does for children. Yeah, yeah. Carmen does a great job here at all at All Saints, trying to get it off the ground. Um, it's different. It's not uh, the the kind of common experience of education and the faith that happens mm-hmm. so what we're surrounded by right now is um what will become the atrium right the things don't kind of make the atrium the space itself becomes that um little like beautiful little shelves with all these little handmade things out of wood to do what they call <clears throat> works so catechesis of the good shepherd took the montessori method of education mm-hmm. and applied it to catechesis in the faith and it's it's fascinating um and i got to sit in on an atrium one time Mm -hmm. Carmen invited me she was started to invite people just to get more awareness of what's going on Mm -hmm. and I was so impressed because the whole point is to recognize that children um, can actually contemplate Mm -hmm. and they can encounter God Uh, and so often it's it's unfortunate because in in school settings um, like children's stuff so often is just kind of cutesy and sometimes it's more for the adults to feel good that they're doing children's stuff rather than actually for the children like Mm -hmm. they get excited but to watch how soft the uh, the catechists speak in these little songs they sing, and throughout the time they would often ask them, they'd kind of teach them how to how to do one of these little works and let them explore by themselves. They'd say, "Is there anything you want to say to Jesus?" And to watch what a, a three year old or a four year old who's just been invited into prayerful contemplation says to Jesus, the Good Shepherd, mm-hmm. not not just some kind of cutesy thing, like what they actually pray is, oh, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really inspiring too. So. That's exciting, and it's it's. I know it's slow going at a lot of parishes, but if you're listening and you're involved in CGS, keep it going, keep mm-hmm. it up because it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a wonderful segue of what I want to talk about. Bravo, well done. I want to talk about the domestic church. Mm-hmm. Domestic, obviously, meaning uh, of the home, um, and the church. <laughs> like that's the, that's reality. I was talking to a mom, and and the question was between sending a, a child to the Catholic school or to the public school. But the question underneath both of those questions was like, what is the faith formation of my child? Mm-hmm. Right? And in a world that grows more and more secular and more and more scary to young parents, there's a desire to give them good formation. But as we talked about in a previous episode, so often that's pointing to 
the school are pointing to the faith formation program as the means by which their child will receive that formation of the faith. Because, and I think this, this thought, this feeling, this sentiment makes people feel so outcast. Mm -hmm. I don't know enough to teach my child. I feel so inadequate to teach my child anything about the faith. I feel like I didn't receive much. And while I kind of got through my, maybe my, my teens and twenties, and now I'm in my 30s, I've got these children, I'm recognizing how little I know or how little I feel that I know. And there's these feelings of inadequacy, right? Or those lives from the evil one that you're not good enough for this, right? Those creep up and those can those can be really detrimental mm-hmm. to formation of the faith. So what happens is that it's kind of like, well, the teachers at the school hopefully know how to do that. Or these parents who volunteer at the faith formation do that. Because of that, very few parents volunteer at the faith formation, right? And then What's, what's hard is that then another generation goes by with poor formation in the faith. Mm-hmm. But what came out of this conversation was it really doesn't matter. I mean, it does. It does. There's, there's, a, there's a good thing to send your children to, to, to Catholic education. However, I didn't have Catholic education in high school because we didn't have a high school close enough to go to. Mm-hmm. So that happens in lots of places, right? As, as Catholic school. I mean, the Diocese of Des Moines only has two Catholic high schools. Like, they've got a whole bunch of rural towns. So... Um, there are lots of places where people have to go to public school, right? Or homeschool or something like that. But the question then is what um, experience of formation in the faith is your child having, right? Regardless, if your child goes to a Catholic school, public school, it has to happen in the home. And thankfully the church has always talked about the home as, um, as a church and really as the first ecclesia, the first church. So ecclesia means assembly, the gathered assembly, Right. Of what well, moving this thing? Sorry, I just get excited. You I know. know you're so excited. I just gotta move it around. I'm so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't control it, hide it. Um, the first experience you have, though, of Christ, of the Church, of the love of the Trinity, is within your family. Like, is your mother, is your father, is your is your siblings, and the first experience you have of praying with this gathered assembly of the family of the Church is in the home. I mean, even if it's on Sundays, you spend more time in your home than you do in the church, mm-hmm. um, unless you're one of those families, because <laughs> daily mass, which is awesome. But yeah, that's just the reality that we need to understand what the domestic church is and, and try to build it up as best we can. Any thoughts? Well, I would hope that our listeners, um, young adults who might be raising children someday, people who are raising children, even those who might be influencing grandchildren right now, I would hope that all of our listeners would really feel empowered to say, no, I can lead a generation. I can lead family members in the faith. Like you really can. Okay. Yeah. You need to trust in the graces that you have been given in your baptism, first communion, confirmation, that the Holy Spirit really is walking with you. And no one is asking you to be a theologian. No one is asking you to interpret every passage of the Bible. But could you, like with the examples that you gave with some of the teachers, you know, working with children in the atrium, could someone in their own family just to say, hey, could we sit around, maybe pray a rosary together as a family? If you don't know how to pray the rosary, there's lots of apps or websites that can guide you through that. Could we sit around and, and just invite family members? What would you like to say to God right now? What would you like to say to Jesus right now? That's what you had referenced earlier with the atrium yeah. teachers speaking to little ones. Well, there's absolutely no reason why that can't happen in a family. Uh, you know, Someone might say, well, I think we should pray for grandma or grandpa right now. I think we should pray for the neighbors down the street. I think we should pray for you know peace on earth. Um, there's no reason why those types of discussions can't be had. There's no reason why in the in the uh, domestic church someone can't lead a reflection, maybe over Sunday brunch or Sunday dinner, about 
what did you get out of the readings today? What did what did you get out of the homily? I know some people would say I didn't get anything. And Father homilies, you know, Father's homily always suck. I didn't get anything, you know. And I know that happens too. But that could actually just prompt. Okay, so if you don't like your local preacher, okay, good. Let's look at the scriptures together and come up with our own homily. Exactly. Yeah. What, you know what what kind of uh, reflections can we draw out of these texts that the church has really wisely paired together to kind of lean and and speak what to one another from Old Testament and New Testament readings. All of those discussions can easily be happening in the church, and no one has to be a theologian to do that. Yes. I want to talk about what I think some how-tos are of how to like make your home, not just your house, right? That's part of it, but to really make your home something of a domestic church, right? You mentioned the first one, and I think that's really important, is prayer together. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm grateful for what I grew up with, and I'm really grateful to my parents for offering... We prayed before, and I think this is very typical. We prayed before meals. I think what this is hilarious. The faith has, you know, has waned in lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. Like devotional practice has waned, like all this stuff, you know, few people go to confession, few people go to mass. Somehow, without fail, that same bless us, O Lord, in these thy gifts, that has been passed down. Sure. Like, like <laughs> with no variation in the in the translation, even. You know, sure. somehow, somehow, every Catholic family, they might not have gone to Mass for 20 years, they know that blessed so Lord prayer mm-hmm. across the entire country in the English speaking world. I feel like that's, you know, whoever wrote that prayer, you know, God Bravo. bless you. Yeah, yeah seriously, that's impressive. But um, I think that's, <laughs> that sounded like a drum. But um, but um, ooh, there it is. A, <laughs> that was a good, good cue. Um, it doesn't just have to be that, right? It doesn't just have to be praying before meal or praying a prayer before bed. I've been to a number of families' homes who have a beautiful kind of almost liturgical prayer that happens at night. They gather the whole family together in the room, especially families with little kids. I've seen this beautiful one where the the dad who, um, he's in the Air Force, so he kind of had this military thing. They had this like call and response litany that they did where all of the kids knew it and they would pray for different things, kind of like a mass, different petitions. But he'd say, we pray for this, and they'd all respond uh, kind of like the Liturgy of the Hours with that prayer in response for the uh, the petitions. But then they would all, I've, another family, they, they at the end all ask their patron saints to pray for them. They even include the, the names of their um, miscarried siblings, mm. right? Little things like that that actually um, enflesh the, the, the faith into the into the home, mm-hmm. part of that liturgical thing that happens in, in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, there there are real candles in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd that are always used, real candles, real materials that make it liturgical, that connect the liturgy to this experience of Catechesis. Well, there's ways to do that in your home, right? The Eastern Christians, the Byzantine Christians in particular, are big on having little icon corners, right? But Francis and Sales talked about that too, of having like a little like altar in your house, like with holy images and with candles and things like that, where the rosaries are kept, things like that, especially with little kids, that can be really helpful. That prayer is not just this kind of random thing you do um, right before a meal or like kind of one quick little prayer you rip off before you go to sleep, but that there's some intentionality. If we gather around this particular place, we light these special candles, we use these special items, we pray before these special statues and icons um, to really recognize that God is present here in our home, in our house, then that can extend to the devotion that's practiced in the church, right? Bring your kids to light candles when like different people are sick or suffering at the church, um, going to things that are just more than Sunday mass at the church. That can help so much to enculturate the faith in a, in a family's home. 
There, there's so much instruction that families do all day long. You know, someone, a child comes home and says, you know, um, I didn't get picked for the varsity team. I'm on JV. Or um, our teacher announced today that she has breast cancer. Mm. Or, um, you know, someone's, someone's acting like a bully at school. And I don't know how to like either handle it, whether they're the victim or they're just the witness. Um, you know, parents are instructing all day long. And you don't have to quote the catechism for all those moments of parental instruction, but you could simply just invite Jesus into that to say, okay, well, how, how would our faith tell us you should respond right now? How would Jesus want to respond? Or, you know, what would the Christian community want to do in this moment? How could the Christian community uh, respond to this need that you're experiencing, children? Hmm. All of that can be based on age-appropriate discussion levels, and all of that can be, you know, stemming from what does our faith teach us and how should we respond to this moment right now? There, there's just so many ways that parents can be instructing their children in the ways of the faith, and they don't have to be real preachy. Yeah, and imagine what it would look like, and I know this is so scary <laughs> for our audience, right, of spontaneous prayer, but not just to save prayer for this kind of rote prayer before meals or before bed, but to pray on the spot with your child who's suffering, Right embarrassment who's suffering rejection who's suffering confusion of illness of a teacher like you said um it's actually suffering from their own siblings fighting or something to really invite jesus into those moments and to pray with them you know and kudos to the parents who do because i think that again this is where faith formation happens it doesn't happen in some necessarily it doesn't happen in some classroom but it happens fundamentally in those conversations like you just mentioned this gets to this kind of second piece that i think is super important um that i've witnessed a lot Use the word I was going to say, but is a personal witness of parents to the faith. So often in Christendom, like we've talked a lot, there's kind of something of a osmosis transference of the faith. This hope that my, by the example of how parents live, the children will just kind of pick that up and just somehow integrate that into their life themselves. Well, that's that works in some ways when the culture is also promoting the same the same things, right? When the say the good example that's given by your own parents is given by your friends' parents is given by the culture at large, this kind of Christian like ethos that's underneath everything. I don't think that's been around for a long, long time, but it's been everybody kind of thinks it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I see that in a small town here with a with a school system. It's kind of like all the Galen families, right? Who, who went to St. Joe's Church and everything. There was that ethos, but sometimes, um, and I think this was seen in Europe. And you know, earlier, sometimes it was just a shell, and there wasn't a lot of actual, you know, witness of the gospel like inside of that. Mm-hmm. And we saw that with so many priests and nuns. There was a, a strong example, right, of these men and women who've given their lives through poverty, chastity, and obedience to living the faith. That's a strong example, right? It makes no sense why there was a lot of vocations then. But for parents to have the capacity and the desire to actually tell their children in an age appropriate way why they believe what they believe. Not just the example of, okay, I take you to Mass, but to fill in the gaps there as a child grows and that integration starts to happen. Why am I so insistent that we go to Mass? Why am I so convicted that I send you to this Catholic school or to this faith formation program? Why am I offering this, proposing this, and not just shoving it down your throat like we said a few weeks ago? Mm-hmm. Where is this coming from? Like, I think the lack of that leads to a lot of the confusion that's present with, with young people. 
they they experience the disequilibrium of like this is what's been kind of proposed to me and this is what the world proposes and it's hard to sift those out mm-hmm. but we trust our parents like we love our parents so to really like lean into that and to witness to this is what my life was like this is what focus missionaries do this is what my life was like before i had like an encounter with jesus christ this is what my encounters with jesus christ have been through the sacraments through prayer through suffering through joys and this is how I want to grow in that. Mm-hmm. To have the capacity to actually share that with, with, with your children and whatever age they are, like that is how the faith is passed on. And that's how the domestic church grows. I still have a very vivid memory of my father uh, standing around talking to a, a group of parents after one of my brother's Little League baseball games. Uh, so this is years and years ago. And um, I remember one of the dads in this little huddle of parents talking about prayer and the importance of prayer. And maybe they were lifting up prayer for someone who was really in need. And, and this dad said, uh, yeah, prayer is really important. And, I, and my dad chimed in and said, oh, yes, it is. It's good to pray for these needs and blah, 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 blah. And, and I still remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was a, a brief moment in which all of those parents were you know, just having a little quick faith-based discussion after a little league baseball game, standing around like in a gravel parking lot. But they were giving witness, and none of them probably even realized for any of the children listening in that we were hearing them talk about the importance of prayer. And they weren't trying to be preachy, and they, they weren't necessarily going into the full depths of their own prayer experiences and manifesting their own conscience. But I still remember that witness. So you never know just how bringing up these these very even in subtle ways bringing up these elements of the faith of personal prayer is actually giving testimony to the next generation it's allowing them to expand their kind of religious imagination to see how do adults kind of navigate this this whole world of religion mm-hmm. how do they how do they live that out how does it touch them how do they make it personal how do they appropriate it for themselves you know the ways that they're they're constantly giving witness to that is impacting the kids, even if it's not done real aggressively. Yeah. If I notice anything with Gen Z that I spend a lot of time with through high school ministry, as you do too, they just can't deal with hypocrisy, especially in the faith, and they sniff it out like the inauthenticity. They sniff it out right away. It's like, I'm sorry, are you telling me to some to do something that you're not doing yourself? Yeah, not going to buy that. You know, that's where a lot of the doubt of like institutionalized stuff comes from oh, you're a police officer, but you're not actually there to protect me. Okay, we're going to defund the police. Like, that's where that, like, angst comes from, you mm-hmm. know, because it's the <clears throat> the seeming hypocrisy that's out there. I think that's so present in the faith. Um, this, whether it's real hypocrisy or seeming hypocrisy, because a lot of it's the idealism of young people where they expect someone who is is following Jesus to be perfect. And it's like, well, you're not perfect. You're a big, fat sinner. So because you're a sinner, that's that's just hypocrisy, <clears throat> you're just being a hypocrite. You're not actually following what you preach. I think what integrates that experience is the humility of that witness. Like, I'm still in this process. I'm not perfect. That's why I'm going to confession, right? That example is huge for children. That's why we go to Mass every Sunday. <clears throat> not just so we can, like, keep up with the Joneses, but so that we can actually, like, grow in, in the grace that the Lord has available for us in the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Um and the domestic church, therefore, can be the place where um, that hypocrisy is not really the focal point. 
Yeah. The domestic church can be the place where everyone realizes, oh, we're all in this church. There's authenticity. We try and live this out every day. And I realize from my siblings and my parents that we're all on the journey together and no one has mastered, you know, perfection yet. Yeah. Yeah. So parents, just please receive this as a word of encouragement that you can, as Father Shane said, you can share the faith with your children. You do have this capacity and you have the grace of marriage and you have the grace of your own sacraments that you are a priest, a prophet, and a king. And you can do this, right? And the church, um, your parish, your pastor, right? Your friends, your fellow disciples are here to help you in this process of trying to communicate the faith. Um, so you can do it, feel encouraged. Uh, and the domestic church is a place for that to happen. So Father Shane, thanks for all your comments. Good discussion, Father. And folks, keep tuning in. We'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.